I just hit it. I just hit it. Hey, uh, I was trying to make the analogy last time that we are like moths hitting up against a light bulb. We are like people in general or us personally? <laughs> us, us trying to read through Ecclesiastes. But then I comforted myself. I consoled myself with the idea that well, at least you're reading it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's not a total loss if you're reading it out loud. Yeah, I need to actually, I do actually need to talk to Jacob about it more because what he said about that Abel thing really put a whole new spin on it for me. That's one thing I've been ruminating over that for a long time. I still don't know if I fully appreciate that, except that, yes, it's fleetingness, uh, but I I can't map necessarily the story of, of Abel onto the contents of this book in the way it seems like you can. Well, it just seems like that. I feel like when I when I keep in mind, if I say everything is Abel, like I, the actual brother of Cain, um, th- there's this it, it puts this extra weightiness on it. Um, but then also, it makes everything everything else is like uh, sacramental in a way. Everything else is kind of on the altar. So it's like everything all of creation is a gift from God and it's all kind of crying back out to God. And yeah, you can't take any of it with you. So everything is able, able, everything Everything is a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. In a way it's a, it's an offering from God that you offer back to him. And so everything is, uh, and are you going to kill it? Like you're, are you going to treat it like you did able or is it, you know, cause he, God's going to come to you and say, where's your brother or what did you do with the talent I gave you? And it's uh, like, it's all, it's all the same thing, sort of. It's like, yeah. yeah. So the talent is the talent God gives you is sacramental in that way. It's like a holy gift from God. And then it like takes the whole book where it, before it's like, Oh, it's fleeting. It's meaningless. And like, none of those really get at the core of it. Cause then when Jacob was like, no, this actually is Abel's name. And then I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's heavy stuff. That's like everything is that talent that God gives you that he's going to be like asking you about later. So as he's going through and he's saying, I, I tried work, I tried pleasure. He's, he's, and I found all of this is, all of this has to go in the altar uh, and, and go back to God. Yeah. That's yeah, what he's was. saying when he's, instead of he's saying all of this is, is vanity, he's saying all of this is is a sacrifice that has to ultimately return to the Lord. Is that what you're saying? I think so. I think that's at least partly what I'm saying. I mean, I do think there's an aspect of coming, coming at it from the traditional side of like where it's meaningless, like you can't hold on to it. Like, and it is like, yeah. So there is this, if you, if you hoard it for yourself or try to hold on to it yourself, like you can't actually do that and it will cry out back to God or whole, um a whole demand a reckoning for it at some point so it just takes everything i don't know it makes everything weightier for me and i don't know that and maybe that's why because the story of abel doesn't map on like in some really specific way it's just kind of having it going on in the back of my head like everything is able able like everything is it's from god it's returning back to god i can't take it for myself i don't own it it's all a gift from him and then it's like am i gonna take it out in the field and kill it or am i like everything's like i'm cain in this scenario and what am i going to do to abel type thing like am i gonna anything could be able like it could be like this this is my camera but this camera here it's like this is a gift from god am i gonna just like am i actually gonna take care of it am i gonna use it am i gonna sort of like that i guess um because it's gonna it's all comes from God. So it's all calling back to him. I get to, I guess I see what you mean. It really doesn't to try to map it on in a particular way. doesn't really make sense. But, but if you think of like, when I think of the story of Cain as well, it's like the whole world becomes haunted. Like if you were actually Cain and you kill your brother and you bury him in the ground. And so everything you're doing, you're, you're one who tills the soil. Like that's your job is your, sorry, the cat wants out. Oh, he's pretending to want out and I just put him in. All right, well, we can. Yeah, he did want out. Oh, so like if 
if I was Cain and I killed my brother and put him in the ground and then I'm a tiller of the ground and everything I'm living off of from the ground is crying out Abel. It's like his blood. God said, your blood, where is your brother? And then he says, your brother's blood is calling to me from the earth. So it's like everything in reality, everything you look at, all the material world is like your brother at that point. And the whole world is haunted and everything is Abel. Everything is Abel because Abel's down there. And everything coming up from down there is is uh, connected to him in a way. Everybody is everybody Cain. Uh, no, I think I don't think you have to be. I, don't know. I hope not. <laughs> Maybe probably to some degree, I guess. Right? I don't know. I'm probably doing like a terrible. Abel wouldn't be haunting everything unless I were Cain. Unless you killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you actually were Cain, unless you actually. It does make me think of of Paul's bit in Philippians, where he talks about uh, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering uh, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. Uh, it makes me think of even if the even if these sacrifices are ultimately. So it's like if Abel uh, made his sacrifices and he ultimately died anyway, it's kind of like the experience that the preacher's having in Ecclesiastes because he, even when he's doing everything that's appropriate, uh, when he's living according to wisdom, uh, he realizes he's still going to die. Um, and, and, and for him, uh, it's like, oh, this is maybe he's saying, you know, this is just like Abel. He did everything right before the Lord but he's still perished. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you're bringing that other side to it. I hadn't thought of it like that. Well, and then Paul fleshes it out in the end. He has the conclusion of the matter when he said, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, uh, I'm still glad and I rejoice. So, uh, so even if, and, and Paul connects that being poured out elsewhere, I think in Timothy with his own death, so it's like, even if I do die, uh, as long as I'm being poured out as an offering to you, then it's, and it's, it really has been worthwhile, mm. which is the experience of Abel. Like, uh, although he died, you know, his, what is it in 11? He was commended as righteous, uh, and he still speaks, even though he's dead. I don't know that that he has eternal life in some sense, mm-hmm. which is is the whole, or at least in my estimation, the whole problem of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with the the existentialism of it. I guess. The uh, kind of- yeah. And the fleetingness of this life, eh? mm-hmm. and how to weigh those out. Mm-hmm. And the only way to weigh it out is, is as Paul is doing. It's like I'm being poured out as a drink offering for you, so I'm glad, even though I'm being poured out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so maybe that was the experience of Cain, and maybe that's the sense in which everything is. I mean, maybe there's experience of Abel. Maybe that's the sense in which everything is Abel. I don't know. Uh, I'm glad you keep bringing it up because it's sort of a, a challenging notion for me. I'm glad you brought up that other side to it too. Like everything is, like you could look at it the other way around as the preacher. The preacher could be kind of a cane figure or an able figure or even a neutral, like somewhere in between that, uh, I guess. Could be an Adam figure. That'd be weird. <laughs> Try to look at it that way too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that other side to it too. Like, even if I, it kind of, you know, kind of reminds you of Job. Uh, that's what it kind of seems like. Every I do everything by the book, everything right, and I still didn't work out for me. Everything's fleeting. Yeah, and that still sort of checks with always pair proverbs and Ecclesiastes in my head, you know. And it's still the conclusion. It's still like live by the proverbs, but uh, know that the 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 promised outcomes uh i don't know maybe they're occurring on on a higher plane 
or uh, maybe they're not necessarily occurring even though the equation still stands. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just hitting a light bulb with you here. I think we got yeah. to like uh, the four, I think we read four, one through four last time. That's a great metaphor. Did we get that part recorded though? The hitting light bulb? I don't know if we did. I don't know either. I don't know. Anyways, if we didn't, Mitch said what we're like in this read through of Ecclesiastes is like moths banging against a light bulb. Sort of, it's, it's sort of every time we say it, it's like, ah. yeah, yeah. and it's never I'm, quite going, the light bulb is never quite getting into here. It's just it, hidden. At least we're at and around the light. This is maybe as best we can ask. Yeah. Who knows? We might go into the flame and just burn. Oh, mercy. Yeah, it's really, I don't know. It's 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 kind of interesting because, I mean, I feel like this book is, to me, uh, it's like the most meaningful book of the Bible. I know I've said that a bunch, but I don't think it was the first time I read it. I think the first time I read it, it was just kind of like, what the heck? Like, you know probably the well, way most people read it i don't know i don't know i honestly don't know the experience that most people have with this book but when i first read it i was i felt <laughs> seen you know like ah oh, finally like this this tracks you know yeah this, yeah this really hits with what the that's funny the experience i'm having you know you spark up every tree and it's well it had that it's nice to read it as like an angsty teenager i guess <laughs> yeah, yeah i couldn't that's believe it was in the bible you know yeah, i know because i, think I knew the like a time to be born stuff like i'd heard that a lot but beyond and uh some other parts but beyond that i had heard it taught on very little and uh so the first time that i read it for myself i was really shocked in a good way i don't think i've ever heard it taught on i've heard it quoted like you said little i have since heard it taught on some although not in its totality uh, but in in ways that transcend that that famous litany in chapter three. Yeah, because it's just like I mean, that's one of the reasons I don't know. Like when you read it and you're like, everything is vanity, vanity, everything is meaningless. I don't know that meaningless is very helpful. Like I think if I would have read it meaningless, I probably would have been pretty confused. I don't really know. I think you I would have read had it to vanity at- to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. And then I. Well, think did I, you think? Did you think it was like, uh, vanity is in, like vain, like puffed up? No, I don't know what I thought. I think I just went up and looked up the Hebrew word or something shortly after because I was like, I don't know what he's because vanity seems, a, uh, a strange word to use there for me. Like I think I would probably use if if I were writing, I would probably put like fleeting or something. Like if I was trying to get across the idea, of like I can't hold on to something or everything is breath or air or, or you know something like that but the reason it's so meaningful for me is because it's translated meaning i really? sure would have you know yes say more about that man that's super interesting oh it's just the same old thing man it's just that i i do receive reality as meaningless when i'm intellectually honest like what the, the intake that i'm getting it's mm-hmm. coming in here and it's just like jumbling up together um uh, like, then you uh, have to make sense of it. And so it's nice for me to hear that it is, in fact, the experience of, you know, like the wisest man alive, that he also had this experience. That's and it funny. makes me think that it, it might be inevitable. And it makes me think, again, that you have to defer to the ultimate perspective. So that's all. That's why it was so meaningful to oh, me. Too. That's good. Yeah, um, no, I think that's good. I don't know. There seems, yeah, there seems to be a lot of different ways to read this, but I like what you said at the end, because that that's what I was thinking. I was like, if it's, if I were to just take that so very black and white as everything is meaningless, meaningless, then I don't know why I would come to the conclusion at the end of fear God and keep his commandments, because this means all, I'd be like, well, why do I need to do that? Everything's meaningless. Yeah, but it's just you like, know? that's your only hope. Like That's your only option, yeah. Uh, if you just have to to trust the one to whom it is meaningful, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. I think, and, and I think trust I the resources he's given. 
yeah. did you mention? Well, I think I mentioned this in one of our previous episodes too, is when I talked to Dara and that was one of the things that stood out to me a lot in our conversation is he said, you have to trust the fruit to God as well. And so it's like, that feels very in line with this book as well. Like when it was, we were going through chapter two and he was like, I could leave it to some buffoon afterwards. And it's like, there's a way like, not only your works that you're doing here, you're trying to do them according to what you perceive as good and trusting God that, that you, he's helping you perceive what's good. But then even that those works after you're gone, you have no control over them. And so you still have to trust the fruit later down the road to God. Uh, Cause that's a horrifying thought too. Cause I mean, you could write something and then someone could take it the opposite of how you meant it and go, I don't know, start a war or something. Well, that's the thing. And you still, no matter what you have to do something, that's like, that's the, that's in the talents too. It's like, I heard you're a hard, hard master. So I just didn't do anything. Yeah. You need to do something. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. I liked in Malachi, we read earlier this morning, uh, you have spoken arrogantly against me, said the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain? by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourns before the Lord Almighty. It's like, uh, even when it's not obvious that you've gained something, yeah, you have to trust the fruit of the Lord because it's not, it's not, if it wasn't obvious to you how to proceed and then you're given instructions on how to proceed, but then you trust yourself once again to, to test whether or not the way you've proceeded was, has borne good fruit. I don't know. It's, it's a lot of trust. It's a dangerous amount of trust. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's what i mean there's like trust and i think there's reverence too that goes in with it because it's like i think the trust has to be uh, when we're talking about works at least i feel like it has to be kind of woven together with like gratitude and reverence or something like that too because it even makes me think of like when you're talking about the talent it makes me think of adam in the garden and he's given this one thing to tend and keep it kind of like cain is he comes to Cain and he's like, where's your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? It's like, that wasn't my job to tend and keep him. <laughs> and he's, so it's like, but God's like, no, you're wrong. So it's kind of uh, whatever God has committed to your hand is like, there's a gratitude of being thankful for it. And then there's like this holy reference of like, oh, this is my talent that I've got. I shouldn't go bury it in the ground. I should at least try to do something with it. And then, Yeah. I don't know. We don't know. Do you want to read? Sure. Where do we leave off? The value I think of we left friends? off at 4-4. Four, four. Oh, really? I thought we were farther than that. Yeah, because remember we talked about uh, not existing for a while. People time. being oppressed and it'd be better yeah, if you'd not been born. But, right. uh, Get to the sad part. I'll do 5 and 6. Alright. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind makes sense of that one man so if i just take five i think okay this is about lethargy or or, or slothfulness right if you That's fold your right. hands, you're in yourself. And then the and then six is a matter of contentment, perhaps. Yeah, I think you're right. That makes sense. Better handful. Mine says a handful with quietness. Was that what you were saying? With tranquility, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of this you can have your handful and, and not be. If you're if you're trying to grasp it or hold it too hard, you're just grasping for the wind. If you can't, you don't even know if you're going to be around here tomorrow. Yeah, so don't trade more stuff for less peace. Uh, this is but these are both sort of playing it, working against each other. Because on one hand, it's like don't do nothing and be lazy, and on the other hand, it's like don't work too hard 
because you're working for the win. <laughs> so just work just the right amount. <laughs> oh, Solomon, he would say something like that. What a goof. It's, it's so wild. Dude, I can't believe it. We've understood this perfectly, the words of the teacher. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Then I Keep returned. going. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end of all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. I'm interested that last part, it's not grasping for the wind anymore. It's a grave misfortune. Yeah, her miserable business. Oh, is that what you said? I like that. I wonder what the message says. We should be doing the message. I'm going to look it up. What's the opposite of the message? The King James. <laughs> Probably. Oh, no, we're in chapter four, aren't we? Let's see, Ecclesiastes 4. Um, let's see, 9 through... What did I just read? No, I read 7 through 8. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I turned my head and saw yet another wisp of smoke on its way to nothingness. A solitary person, completely alone. No children, no family, no friends. Yet working obsessively late into the night. Compulsively greedy for more and more. Never bothering to ask... Why am I look, working like a dog, never having any fun? And who cares? More smoke, a bad business. A bad business. So, really, <laughs> I love the message, man. It's great. Yeah, it is beautiful. You know, it makes me think it's just, just think about what you're doing. I mean, if you're, if you're going to be, in, obviously there's the, the literal thing going on here of, of a person who doesn't have anything to, to hand down. Not that it matters if he did, because we've already found that you don't know what your son's going to do with what you do. So it's really just to 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 consider the why of what you're doing, what what you're doing, the why of what you're doing. But do you think? Here's a question. So do you think even the handing down though is? Could it just be an emphasis? I mean, we're we haven't been back in chapter two for a while when he said all this stuff. But could it be an emphasis on like more material things? Like you're going to hand down the things from your labor. And if you don't actually hand down values that go along with it, who knows what your kid's going to do with it? Do you think he could be saying something like that? Because I mean, if you were to teach, I mean, you could give your, your child millions and millions of dollars. And if you taught him, the value of work or something he might be able to handle that better or something um it kind of reminds me where's that part in genesis uh where it talks about abraham and god's like it's something for i have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the lord to do righteousness and justice that the lord may bring to abraham what he has spoken him mm -hmm. i mean obviously those would be the more meaningful things to pass down um the way of the lord but that's really true man i think that you and this is written uh with his progeny in mind isn't it? maybe probably i mean i would think so and if you're just thinking about the the things you can give to your offspring just the things material things you can leave them it's like what good is that you're just giving them uh what is it what was what did we just read you're just giving them a bad business. <laughs> More smoke. More smoke, a bad business. I think you're really right to to redirect that concept to material things. Because it does seem like we get instruction to to pass down uh righteousness and righteous wisdom and fear of the Lord. Uh so you you, you I shouldn't go about thinking of I don't know. It is true that I don't know whether or not if I'm handing down 
wisdom that it's going to be put to good use. Yeah, that's true. I guess you never really know. There, Proverbially, there it's true, but... Yeah. Not in every case. It kind of almost reminds me a little bit about, for some reason, kind of this whole topic reminds me about what, when Sherry's talking about that story from George McDonald's The Wise Woman. Um, and I know it hits her on another level. It does me. And she'll just, she'll like, cause she'll say it and then she won't explain any of it. And it's just like, she's so blown away by this. And I'm like, I know it hasn't hit me quite the way it's hit her. But when there's those two little girls and one of them's like uh, picking flowers and one of the girls, I think wants flowers for herself. And she's like, yo, no, you can't, you'll kill them. And she's like, well, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I lift them. Like I, something where like, it feels like, in the enjoyment of the flower, you're just living it and letting it live. And it's like this weird, um, where you're not holding on to it. You're not, because as soon as you try to hold it for yourself, it's like, you're killing it. You're killing it. You're not living it anymore. You're not just enjoying it and having the experience of life, knowing it's, that feels very ecclesiastical to me. Like you can pick the flower and enjoy it and live it and not, uh, kill it because if you go pick it and put it in your vase or something it's like you're not really you're just gonna watch it wither and die sort of you know i don't know i shouldn't say that because people really do that and they enjoy it and it brings life to their house for a while but this, i don't even know if i'm making sense that's what i mean where it hasn't hit me on the level it's hit her because i can't i can't articulate it what makes you think of it of, of sherry saying that because mm-hmm. i think she gets it she really gets it. I think, I think she really in it. And I think it's something like this, this whole book where he's like, um, where it's, it's this wave of like, enjoy the flower, uh, partake of the flower, love the flower. Um, but know that it's, you know, you can't take it with you. And so it's like, you're not holding on to it at all. Like there's no attachment or suffocating of it. It's just like, I'm just gonna, I see I see that wave is more uh, enjoy the flower enjoy the flower oh wait I can't because it's, it's like gonna a, wither it's like it's like a bipolar thing to you the wave well <laughs> you're you're saying enjoy it uh but don't hang on to it because it's gonna wither and in that way you can truly enjoy it and I'm saying I'm trying to enjoy it but I can't because it's gonna wither that is a very bleak way of looking at it yeah well, not for me, because I, I don't think it ultimately will wither. You don't think it will? Not ultimately, no. Because of the resurrection or something? Exactly right. That's a good way of looking at it. That's but why think, Ecclesiastes yeah, isn't bleak for me, because I... It's it redirects your focus towards the eternal, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it does for me, too. That's why I think it's the most meaningful book, because it's always... Like even you saying that, it's like you you recognize the the greater end or something or I don't know. Well, it's like this is this is an image of 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 what your thought processes would be uh, had you no notion of eternal life, and of course you you do. Uh, eternity is in your heart. Uh, but you might lose faith in it. Uh, and if you l- lose faith in it, then you're gonna uh, run this exact gauntlet uh, of trying to find meaning where there simply cannot be meaning because there is no meaning where there is death. True death. Yeah. So I have a question then going off of that. If you had some, if you came across somebody and met with them, someone you knew who didn't really believe in God and was really struggling with nihilism, would you recommend this book to them? Oh, that's a fun question. Because <laughs> I feel like they would either kill themselves or they would really come to God. I don't know that it, it's weird. Interesting to see what they do at the conclusion. Well, yeah, you think it was like, okay, yeah, that's the experience I'm having. That's the experience I'm having. Now the conclusion, what's it going to be for God? I don't even believe in him. <laughs> it's nothing for me acknowledge that uh oh, what is it in the 12 steps 
Oh, acknowledge the higher power or something like that? Yeah, or, you depend uh, on a, a higher power to get you out of the situation. You know, I don't know that... Part of me thinks I, I wouldn't, but that's... Pick a high power. Uh, part of me thinks I would... Like, I don't think I would uh, have a problem with giving to, some, giving to someone that struggles with nihilism if I were to just say, uh, read it again, read it again, read it again. Because that was my experience with it, at least. Like, I read it, and I don't think it... I still don't think it clicks up here. Like you said, I'm like hitting a light bulb. Like it hasn't clicked up here yet. But for some reason, it was one of these books where like I read it and then I read it again and I read it again and I could just feel it changing something inside of me and I couldn't put my finger on it. But it was like, and I, that's the only way I know how to describe it now is it was realigning my focus to um, to more eternal things, to what to what's truly meaningful. And it's mm. like, it's not about, it's not about, uh, See, it's it's like this weird contradiction. I was about to say it's not about food and drinking or all this stuff, but then you're like, well, it is because, it, but the reason it is is because of communion, because you're doing that with friends. You're doing that with family. You're doing that with, so like those are the more meaningful things. It's not about the actual food because it's just like tomatoes, a tomato, it's going to rot or whatever. But if you are having like a good meal, with family it's like that's what it's more about but there is food involved it's in like that. you eat eat and drink unto god it's 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 right it's good yeah would a nihilistic person do that so i would recommend I this to an, an an atheist nihilist yeah because uh, I, I think if nothing else they maybe would recognize it would it would cause them to shift their focus on material things and they would at least recognize the relationships around them maybe more and be like this is more meaningful or this is uh maybe not though i don't know and the, 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 to know that i don't know i maybe because i in my estimation it's maybe an old-fashioned one but the the thing that is going to to rescue them from just this nihilistic spiral is the lord and if anything, this demonstrates that uh, these these feelings and these experiences and these thoughts are not they're anticipated by by this by the Lord. You know, they they yeah, that's really good. I don't know. No, that's uh, really good. This is a miserable business. <laughs> More smoke, bad business. You want to read some more? Hey, man. Yes, I do. Uh, have you asked yourself the question, for what are you toiling? For what am I toiling? I have actually asked that question a lot. Um, I wrote down two things. I wrote wisdom, and then I wrote Philippians 3.8. Because um, I have actually asked my, my, that question a lot, especially after my dog died, because I was like, dude, I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. I don't even have a dog anymore. What am I doing? All this toil. I have nobody um so it was wisdom was one because she's a she's a beautiful lady that's my, that's my only lady i got and then uh the other one was uh the philippians uh what is it three eight yeah but i count all all these but what things were gained to me these i have counted lost for christ yet indeed i count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of christ jesus my lord for whom i have suffered the loss of all things that i may gain christ so that's the only other thing I can think of is the, uh, I mean, there's more of that now, but I think, you know, all the toil, everything doing here is, is for, um, you know, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Yeah, that's not, beautiful. <laughs> but it's weird too, because like the more I come to know that and the more I come to know Christ, it's like, it's not just some weird selfish of, thing of uh getting like just being after just this one this one person this one man or one idea or something and then it's like then you see christ and in, in all the different people too you see god in his creation and i don't know it's just really led me to a different place and even with romans 8 now like the whole creation is groaning it's like in a way that all of creation is god's body because it all came from him and from i mean i know there's corrupt wicked parts to it but it's like that's what it's groaning for 
so even that is like man even the pursuit of that is kind of something else i think that's through the pursuit of christ um, and seeing the way that how all things are found in him and how he holds all things together i think kind of makes me almost pursue the that uh the reconciliation of all things too in that way yeah so that's that's what i got have you asked yourself that same question for whom do you toil and deprive yourself of good this smoke and this bad business <laughs> um on my best days uh I, I would like to hear the same answer as you i think that philippians 3 8 was a great place to go for answering the question other days uh i toil for that uh which thieves can break in and steal <laughs> Yeah, well, to be totally honest, I do the same thing, of course. But I mean, when I read this verse, that's yes, if, if, if I if you have to put an answer down on on a piece of paper, that's <laughs> I can't imagine a better one for consumers. Yeah, if I'm not really walking around stirring. in my delusional state, if I'm actually like like thinking about it in a really meditating on that question, wait, what am I doing here? I think I would. But yeah, in my day to day, it's probably more. Yeah. How do you know? How do you know Christ, man? How do you gain Christ? Gosh, it's tough. It's a good question. And you know the answer. You're the only one that can teach me this. <laughs> the only one. For God so loved the world. No, I think, I mean, it's it's weird because it's like, like the answer is like the most simplistic answer that Christians have always gave. I think you receive them into your heart. But then if you actually ask what that means, you can get into the depths of that unending. Because it's like, to me, that that means, gosh, well, you really have to look at the whole story because part of me just wants to say it's receiving God's forgiveness. But I think you need all the imagery of Christ on the cross, the suffering, everything that involved, and then just being like, this is the God man, and this is what we did to him. And then he, while I was, while we were yet still sinners, he died for us. And it's like receiving that spirit, whatever spirit that was there at that moment, that unconditional love that went to that degree and that level. It's receiving that into your heart, how incredibly humbling that is and how through that humility, it it recreates, like it almost it baptizes you in that humility and recreates you into like this new, hopefully a new a Christian, a new Christ follower. And then that same love would flow out to you, to other people. So it, in, in receiving the, I don't know how to talk about this, but in receiving the imagery and uh, hearing the story, when I hear that and I believe it, then I receive that spirit? I think so, yeah. I mean, because I, I really think it's probably as simple as that, because, like, you kids do this. <laughs> like if you just I was going to say, I, was gonna, I would have said, I read my... How can I know Christ? Read your Bible and pray. I like the most simplistic answer of all time. Yeah. I mean, it's like it, kids, it affects them. Like it's, it's weird. It's not, it's I mean, very it's, true. but then I grow up and I'm like, well, I never knew any of this stuff. I never thought about it that much. But like, if I were to ask my nieces and nephews, like, do you believe in Jesus? They know the story of Jesus. And then they would say, yeah, I accepted him into my heart. And then I don't know that I have to ask them what that means to them. But there is some weird, like, somberness that goes along with it, too, where they know that that it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's hard. It's like, it's not a, an intellectual thing for them, either. It's, uh, I don't know what it is. That's yeah. exactly true. And that's why, for so long, I, I um, you know, you hear a lot of times in this... <sighs> So for a long time, I would say something like, uh, I was raised in church, but I became a Christian, I think, at this indiscernible time. But then I realized, you know, like, when I was very small and I understood nothing, like, I did believe, like, mm -hmm. I, I, I believed what I was hearing. And my belief was really simplistic and not very, well, it wasn't theologically sound, certainly, but it was very, very real. Yeah, and, uh, uh, it, it, it's incredible, you know, to 
to look back at how you believed when you were a, a child. Yeah. It's insane too, because you're like, you don't have to, like even me saying, oh, describing that event on the cross and like going into the, the implications of forgiveness and how humbling that is. It's like a child doesn't get all that, but then you can just say, you tell them the story of Jesus, ask them if they believe it, and ask for Jesus to come into their heart. And then you can just say something like, what would Jesus do? And it's like, they know, like they know, like that somehow, I don't know how it happens, but they're like, like if you were, if they were fighting with their siblings or something, you'd be like, what would Jesus do? And then they'd be like, well, I need to share. I need to, I need to love them. I need to forgive them. It's like they, all of this is like somehow embedded in that Christian story that they just get intuitively. It's, it's quite like strange. You can't, you can't, unfortunately, it's like you, you can't uh, stay there, um, which is, it's kind of like with the wisdom comes sorrow thing. It's, it's like you do have to grow in wisdom. And and you, where you, you, you take milk for a while, there should come a point where you, you have solid food. And mm -hmm. it's kind of sad uh, because you, you miss the simplicity. I mean, that's, that's true. And just when you look at, like, I miss the simplicity of being a kid versus the the shoulder to cross of being an adult, you know, uh, you do have to, to grow and, and you don't stay there forever. Yeah. And then now that you're eating solid food, you know, you, you pass the milk back down. You know? I don't know. I don't know why, what we're even talking about now. Oh yeah. You're, you're explaining to me how to know Christ. You asked me. I don't know. I hope I know. But it's always one of those things like, you know, and you don't know. Because it's like, that I may know Christ. And it's like, yeah, am I really ever going to get to the bottom of that thing? Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. The, but I everything, think, that's what you toil for. That's a great thing to toil for. Yeah, yeah. And I think the reason, what's almost satisfying to me now is that it is unending. Like, the, the depths and the heights of the love of Christ is something that... As long as creation is still happening, that's still going to be going higher and lower and stretching itself. And so it's like, I don't know, what can we forgive? Like, how far can that go? How do we do this thing here? We'll see. Uh, all right. Go on, man. Nine, nine, you, read this, you read the sad part. Yeah. No, this is good. Two are better than one. That's us, bro. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? This is the us. one. Yeah, <laughs> the one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves when we're camping in seventeen degrees. Okay, all right. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Okay, so this is. This is another one that actually did does come up a lot, uh, I think, in teachings. Is it just because of the Trinity thing, the last part, or is it? No, I think okay. uh, just the in, the sort of iron sharpens iron kind of ah. sensibility, you know, sticking together and not trying to go it alone. So this one, yeah, for the for me, this one came up a lot growing up. That's good. I don't think I heard it very much. I don't think I ever really heard Ecclesiastes other than when I read it growing up. Maybe I did. It's nice, though, huh? It is, yeah. Stick it's together. Good. Good. Yeah. It, this is so simple, man. This book is so uh, perpiscuous. Per is that what Cal said? In oh, I don't even remember. How can one be warm? one may be overpowered by another two can withstand him are you still uh reading uh fantasies yeah i've got like 30 pages left what's gonna make me finish did you get to the uh the the brothers yes and no i you alluded to something with the brothers that wasn't obvious to me i got to this dream he had of the brothers in yeah, his yeah. childhood there's but... a part after that where he meets like these these people but anyway you i think you'll really like that part is it like this? They stick together? Yeah. It's very good. 
No, it's really good. I think you'll like it a lot. It's, I think they're gonna it's like it. Right? I yeah. just look. I did it right here. Did just, you get? So you went through. You you, nice. So you went through the. Uh, let's see. The door. Sorry, now I'm. I went distracted. through door number one, and he came back, and that I haven't gone back out again. Oh, okay. My favorite is I think door number three. It could be door number two, but. Well, I like door number three because it's not quickly broken. Although, door although with door number two, you can keep warm as well. Gosh, I gotta keep reading this book. I started over again. I don't know where I'm at now. I can't believe yeah. how long it's taken me to finish it. I wonder, I think you sent it out to several people. Uh, has anyone finished it? Has John or, John or Craig? Or... I don't know if Craig finished it. I think he was at least almost done. Everybody at some point, because we kind of, we didn't get very far in our discussion. So I think everybody was like, we'll just keep reading it. And then when we go back, we'll just reread the chapter or something. But I think that's I why I'm John, so, John finished. Um, excited about, I, that's why I'm not excited. Uh, but like, I just really want us to finish Ecclesiastes. I, I don't know if yeah, know. or if it'll fall off like Exodus like, and Fantasties. Well, hopefully we go back to Fantasties. That thing is just, I like Fantasties, especially when, uh, I don't actually like talking about the text as much, but I feel like we we so far have kind of done a good job of that where we'll kind of Just bring up the chapter it. and then it, yeah, then it's like brings up different questions and ideas and things like that. But I really, if nothing else, I want to at least go to the, the Cosmos story and see what you guys think about that. That's a killer story. It really yeah. sticks in your brain. I think, well, I think like everybody else gets more out of it than I do. That's why I want to revisit it because it was not my favorite part of the book. Like every time I got to read that story, it's probably one of my least favorite parts, if I'm being honest. I don't know why that is. I love the story. I think it's absolutely fascinating. But for some reason, I'm just like, I mean, it, I, I love the story. It's just like, if I had to rate them all, it's probably not on my top. There's that, almost you know. no story. It's like an open world RPG or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just like wandering in and out of these different rooms and like yeah. different parts of the woods, different houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's like he stops to read a book for like 10 pages <laughs> so he can throw another story within his story then i read this book and there's this little mini story within the story and he's, it's like he's it's... so unhindered by the narrative that he's putting forth yeah it's great mm -hmm. all right you want me to keep going keep Maybe going we get through chapter four better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more for he comes out of prison to be king although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Ends a little bleak. Reminds me of Joseph. In what way? Because they forgot about him? Well, he comes After out of prison. time in Egypt. Yeah, that, and he comes out of prison to be king. Um, yeah. He's like a second born in a way, like the older serves the younger type thing. There was a second youth, and he stands in his place. Uh, yeah. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who would be admonished no more. This is strange. Old dogs can't learn new tricks. Is that what you're saying? I'm just kidding. What's Maybe. strange about it? What do you mean? Oh, it just doesn't end how I think it's going to. But, uh, they follow the successor, but then those who came later are not pleased with the successor. It's always, uh, so I guess it is sort of always out with the old, in with the new. Hmm. Uh, you have your day in the sun, but ultimately they're going to turn on you. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> the day that yeah. I, I'm, I'm no longer relevant, I'm hardly relevant now, but there's, I have a circle, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the ending's pretty weird. I'm not quite sure what to do with it. What do you find is your experience with the way people react to the elderly in your life? You know, because it feels like, it's just like, uh, you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll be talking, it's like, you listen, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. But sometimes you have the, a sort of reverence towards them, and other times you have a sort of like you just humor them. What do, What is your experience? 
yeah, it seems like it's, um, it seems like that, I don't know, I try to not actually take the, I'll just humor them side ever, but it seems like that does happen, especially mm -hmm. maybe more so with, I was about to say people younger than me, and maybe that's just because it's a greater divide, but then I don't know that, um, trying to think but i don't i don't know that it's it's always just a humoring sometimes it's actually an argument or something but um yeah i don't know it's hard a lot of times i think i personally feel like i'm kind of stuck in the middle trying to appreciate both and see both sides and feel like it's like trying to hold on to, to tradition or at least the goods that are in it and then trying to uh, understand the the new thing that's coming up with a new generation and how uh, the good that's in that and mm -hmm. and honestly man the the thing that is just uh that I almost have very little patience for I don't I don't yell at people over it but the thing that like gets me the most is is the pride and arrogance that just comes out it can come out from both sides you know but you think that's characteristic of oh, the elderly no i think it's characteristic of the young rebels i mean i did the same thing where you get to this point in your life and you're like oh i know better and it's like do you really like really like you might know better than than your parents and, and the people who went before you but it's like you need to really really wrestle with that before you just go like throwing it all out because i mean that's like you know i did that because i think i may be one of those people too where i'd like i'd want to find out for myself someone's like don't do this. And it's like, well, I'll go do it and try it. See, see what happens. Um, but it's, which is maybe, and some people are built that way. So some people I think have to do that, I guess, but there's a, when it gets into this spiteful bitterness, that's where I'm like, you, I never really yelled at anybody before, but I'm just like, just watch that. Or if I see a younger person getting upset with the elderly or almost vice versa, it's like, I'm, I feel like I'm just always trying to that's the one thing where I'm like, just don't get bitter. Like, just don't get bitter. That'll, you'll find yourself in hell. I know you love Hook. And do you watch much of Spielberg? Uh, I don't, I don't know what much is. I, it, I guess he's had 30 something films, like 33, I think. Okay. I've probably seen a good portion. Indiana Jones and Jurassic Parks. Yeah. I've seen those. And yeah. Okay, well, Star Wars. He just leave those out. He didn't do Star Wars. <laughs> what? I thought he did with Lucas. Was didn't he uh, do the first one? They they sort of like riffed on each other with it, but ultimately. Oh, he didn't. oh man! Show how much I know. <laughs> uh, well, look, he does um, this movie this year called The Fablemans. That's about his life. I haven't seen that one. Uh, it just came out. Um, but uh. He, he said the whole like thesis for him for the movie was like telling the story of how he first began to see his parents as human beings and uh that's the real trick i guess it's like you you almost see them as like these they owe me something and they do in a sense you know they brought you into the world and they they're bound to to rear you and so when they when they betray you in some way it really is a betrayal it's not not a betrayal but it's like the same betrayals that you're going to be prone to in your life the seeing it seeing any given seeing people as human beings and then remembering that you yourself are human beings is huge but it's like the whole like thesis of so many of his movies is is like the broken family unit and like the the parent child relationship i have to watch for that more i don't know that it is that in jurassic park too the first one or something definitely in the third one i don't know if it's as much in the first one hmm. uh, but well, a lot you of have the grant who who's with his girl and they don't want kids or something or right right know, yeah he, so he ends up wanting kids later i think that's so interesting the kid aspect well, it's definitely in Hook, you know, just... Yeah. Yeah, there's a betrayal that happens in the beginning. Uh, not in, I don't know if it happens in Hook. Pro I mean, probably you can draw it out with the 
him not making the baseball game or something, but in Peter Pan, um, is the dad is uh, one of the little kids I think has to take medicine, and the dad and the dad is supposed to take his medicine, but he hates taking his medicine. He's supposed to like like a daily thing, like an adult would take their vitamins or something, and so then. He he ends up hiding it somewhere, and Wendy's like, "Oh, I know where it is." So she goes and gets it for him. He's frustrated, and then when the kid's taking his, he like throws it over his back real quick or something, and they call him on it, and he like the dad gets so mad, and the kid's just like hurt, you know, because it's just like the dad's so obsessed with good form, and then he goes and does something like that, and you're like. And then that that same thing. There's like a moment in when he's fighting Peter Pan that he kind of does the same thing, and it's just like bad form, bad form. Hug. Yeah, yeah. Then it's this weird like hypocrisy and betrayal of the child's trust because the child's like, okay, I'll take mine as you take yours, and then he doesn't do it. And so this is mostly back and forth between parent and child, and it goes both ways that they they're each holding each other to a standard that neither of them can truly keep. Yeah, that's why I think Wendy's the the hero. <laughs> that's why I think the mother is the hero. That's why I think that's probably my most frustration when it comes to like in the, the hook story. The, well, oh, in the hook story and in life. But I think that's one of my most frustrating things when it comes to just the feminine in general. How like hyper feminism? It's like I, I, matriarchy, whatever. That's fine, but don't destroy something like that because that is holding father to son. Like she holds, she holds the husband and, you know, she gets married and you have her holding the husband in her arms. And then after she has a child, she's holding the son in her arms. She's holding the father in, in her arms again, but in infant form. And it's like, who do you think the mediator is in that relationship? Like the mom is mediating huh. between the father and the son. Otherwise, you know, the dad might take Jacob up on the altar and kill him. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Sarah should have been know. around when Abraham was about to ice eyes with me. Yeah, he probably he probably did it when she wasn't looking. Yeah. No, but um, there's this there's this weird thing, even in Song of Solomon, I hadn't noticed it before, but she says, like, who is her beloved in that? It's like the king, the kingly figure or whatever. But then there's this part where she says, A beloved, uh, my beloved to me is like a bundle of myrrh that lies all night between my breasts. And so you could either get the image of like he's laying there on her breast like sleeping at night and she's kind of like holding him in her arms the king or she's just holding an infant like she does the both with the same with both in a way it's just i don't know i really think that motherly spirit is like this weird mediating force somehow between the two but i could be wrong on that i can see what you're getting at here doesn't sound crazy so back on the elderly thing do you think it's because that sort of pride happens one you could say it's because they they witness like a double standard in the parent like we've alluded to the other thing is do you think that often they think that they're out of touch with with what's happening like in society or in culture yeah I, I think it's both yeah. yeah do you think that that's sometimes true or? i think it's both i think there's trueness to both of it yeah i mean the reason i got offended at the church I don't think I got offended from my parents for this, but the church and like their tradition and stuff was because I noticed hypocrisy. And so I was like, you know, and I think that's what happens normally to a lot of people. You see the the double standard um, and then decide to decide that you're going to be the judge or whatever. So I think there's that. And then I think there is the being out of touch with, and maybe some of that hypocrisy is connected to being out of touch with the next generation because it's just, um, it's hard to relate. And so then it's like, in in finding it hard, maybe I'm I'm just talking out loud here, like you can rip off this too. So maybe it's like when you're, you're older and you're finding it hard to relate because the new generation just kind of seems like they're doing absurd things, then you exclude them more or you're not sure how to include them and so then in that, you're not being loving, like you're not doing what you claim to be living by the church should be doing. I don't really know. I'm not sure if they go both hand in hand, but it seems to be like there's two of those things going on there. And the two things one more time are? You said that one was like the, kind of, it sounded to me like one was the hypocrisy 
the double standard. And then the second one was like being yeah. estranged or being, yeah. yeah, from the, from the new generation, which is like, it's only probably going to get harder because now people aren't having kids till they're older. And then you got a bigger age gap there and things are yeah, changing, that's a good changing point. so much faster. Things are. That's another good point. Yeah. So here's, here's something it's like, okay. So what do we have to do then as people in positions to be authoritative and people in positions to uh, live beneath an authority is we have to be willing to accept that our authorities can fail and still, and it doesn't compromise their authority authority entirely and that they still have something to offer in spite of not being totally privy to my experience and then downwards I have to recognize that the experience you're having might be out of my grasp and verbalize that. No, I just have to be the verbal, I have to verbalize that. It might be out of my grasp, but I still have something to offer. I will make mistakes, but I still have to exercise authority. Uh, I don't know, man. It's making me think though. I really can't stop thinking about this idea of, of of leadership and its necessity and who's going to do it and who's going to be willing to do it. Well, the king here, he knows he's going to go out of fashion if he's read this book. Um, the king's going to go out of fashion, but he still has the king. Uh, and then as his successor comes along, he better hope that he's at least put the mechanisms in place that, that this king who may totally like be dismissive of him is is going to be able to king well too. That's tough. That's tough. You know what's a weird thing though too is uh and I don't know if maybe this can you could tie this in with what you're with the question you're asking right now too. But do you think I mean, I feel like I've noticed this. I don't know if this is a true thing, like all around the board or just, but there seems to be like, once the, the older generations reaches a certain age, they connect with a really, really young one. Like the grandkid and grandparent dynamic. It's like, once they hit this grandparent age and all the kids are out of the house, it's like, there's this weird return to childlikeness thing that kind of happens. And then they love playing with the grandkids. And that's, I, it seems like it's a thing, but I could be wrong on that. And I don't know what causes that either. Does a grandparent in some way become a mediator between child and parent? Or I don't because know. it doesn't seem, it, the parent would seem like the obvious because it's between them, but it feels like more often because, because the grandparent is now like sitting on the other side of parenthood and are watching the their their child have the experience that they just had, you know, raising them right here, and so they're yeah. able to come in and say, "It feels know. like a return to childlikeness to me too." Where they get to this point where they're like, "All this," I don't want to say like it's not. It's like they're just not wrestling with these like with life as much anymore and it's just like they just give come back to just like let's just play and just it's weird it's kind of strange i don't know there's something going on that i do see so i've been thinking about this a lot lately because you know how sometimes you'll look at um you, you sometimes a, a parent will go into a group of children and make things awkward for their child they'll be they'll embarrass them because they'll just act like like a kid yeah or they, something they or... don't understand what's they they're acting out of touch and oh. so it's i thought about that recently because i i was socializing not with my children around obviously but i was socializing and um i had something in my brain i'm like 
that's out of touch and uncool. And even though I realized that, I let it come out of my mouth. And I was thinking, is so have they been doing this in a self-aware way this whole time? Probably. They, there's probably some of it where it's like, I just don't get it. But I bet a lot of it, it's, it's just like, it's either I get it and I don't care, but that doesn't seem quite right. And it doesn't feel like they want to like intentionally embarrass their children. They'll like a mother will go up into a crowd of, of kids with their children and just be like, like, hey, you know, and you're like, what are you doing? Stop. And it's like they know that that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't either. This is a total rabbit trail. I just got the dinner bell too. Well, it's a, it's a rabbit trail, but it feels like, I don't know, it feels necessary to me because it reminds me of Malachi that you're reading uh, and Elisha. Like, if you can figure this out, and turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Yeah, yeah. And so it's oh, like, oh man. And that's where it feels like, like, uh, where like. We need to talk about that too, but I got to go. You got to go? What? We didn't get that far. At least we got through chapter four finally. We made it all the way. I kind of just want to read read through chapter five real quick so we can just say we did it. <laughs> no. But then we need to pause. We're going to be doing this forever. We will never get to the end. Forever. Dude, we need to bring in chapter four of Malachi next time because I like what but that was four, wasn't it? Or was it three? It was About I think bringing four. the parents. Oh, yeah, four. It's the end of four. Yeah. It's the yeah. spirit of Elijah or something. So this is all. This intergenerational stuff is the thing because that's the semblance uh, of eternal life. It's not actually eternal life. It's compromised. This, we're doomed to, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, you know. We're doomed to repeat these things until mm -hmm. we're not. Yeah. Life's too short to get it right. I can't in 70 years solve anything great. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Let's forget it. That's <laughs> no, a bad no, idea. No, no, I think you're... But I mean, I think there's truth in that. I don't know. But like the weird thing is like you make that statement and I think it's so true. But then at the same time, like I think I think it's wrong because the answer is something so simple. And I'm like, I just haven't, I either don't know what it is or I haven't properly lived it or, or you know, integrated it yet. Is this a body of death or not, man? I don't know. I mean, it shouldn't be, right? It shouldn't be. But it is. This is a cursed body, right? No, this is bad. I have bad thoughts. Oh, don't do it. What's that shirt you're wearing, by the way? You've been working Rigid. Hard. Nice. This nice. is a tool company, and I'm a very tool-type guy. <laughs> as you can, as everyone always always accuse me, like, Mitch, you're so into tools and masculine things. <laughs> <laughs> is that a true statement? <laughs> it should be. <laughs> Uh, all right, man. I'm gonna hop off. Can I, can I title? Can I title this episode that? Mitch, Mitch, you're so into tools. Nice. All right, man. I'll see you. Sorry, <laughs> I'm keeping really. you. See Thanks you. for everything. You too.